This week on the Geek Explained podcast, it's a double feature of superheroes and film as we review Ant-Man and the Wasp and The Incredibles 2. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and this week we are reviewing two superhero movies. That's right, two of them. Uh, this past weekend was uh, the birthday of my girlfriend, Sammy, so we decided to celebrate by seeing not one but two movies. I know, like, who are we? We normally don't have time to uh, see movies together, even just one, normally, but this weekend we took the weekend off and we were able to see two movies back to back. Uh, So I'm going to jump into uh, little mini reviews of each. Uh, As you heard in the intro, it's going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp and The Incredibles 2. We've been waiting for these films for a while. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp, for those of you who just want to get straight to the review, is a wonderful palate cleanser after the really dark and gritty Infinity War. I think it's a nice, bright, uh, funny comedy that doesn't take itself too seriously and yet really hits some emotional notes. in kind of the same way that the first Ant-Man was a really nice uh, reset back into the kind of Marvel humor that we all have really come to know and expect from Marvel after uh, Age of Ultron kind of brought the seriousness back into the universe. So um, I guess I'll go ahead and jump into Ant-Man and the Wasp first, then I'll jump over to Incredibles 2. Both of these movies I was super excited to see in the theater and I am super excited to talk to you guys about them. So uh, I have a list here, uh, just jotted a few notes down on things that I wanted to talk about, things that I really enjoyed, and uh, number one on that is Hope Van Dyne. Uh, Evangeline Lilly did an amazing job. Uh, She was one of the standouts in the first Ant-Man. I really enjoyed her work in that film, just the way that she took to this character and really breathe life into it and made what could be considered kind of an auxiliary role in the first film and really made that character stand out and made you by the end of the first film want to see her get her own suit want to see her out in the field doing all the things that scott as ant-man is doing So um, I guess I can get into a short synopsis of the film. This is ripped straight from comicbook.com, which reads, From the Marvel Cinematic Universe comes a new chapter featuring heroes with the astonishing ability to shrink. Ant-Man and the Wasp. In the aftermath of Captain America Civil War, Scott Lang grapples with the consequences of his choices as both a superhero and a father. As he struggles to rebalance his home life with his responsibilities as Ant-Man, he's confronted by Hope Van Dyne and Dr. Hank Pym with an urgent new mission. 
Scott must once again put on the suit and learn to fight alongside the Wasp as the team works together to uncover the secrets from their past. So yeah, the movie was amazing. (laughs) I know I say that about a lot of uh, superhero films coming from the perspective of someone who was bullied about it when I was a kid, uh, about being a comic book fan, about liking superheroes, just seeing superheroes on screen in a mainstream atmosphere is amazing to me. So I was already excited to go see this film, and it pretty much met all of my expectations. I really expected pretty much what we got from the first film, which I enjoyed, and I was just hoping for more of the same. And going back to the uh, Hope Van Dyne point she was absolutely amazing in this film just like she was in the first film uh so i i enjoyed her her just the way that she inhabits this character and the way that she makes hope just a standout character not just for this film but for the mcu as a whole because i think a lot of uh criticism about the mcu and about super movie heroes as a whole is that super movie hero superhero movies as a whole is that uh we don't have a whole lot of like female superheroes who can really lead stories uh we lucked out we really were kind of spoiled with wonder woman uh i believe it was last year and that film i think opened the door for a lot of female superheroes to really take the forefront in this growing and ever-expanding genre of film and i think for me personally evangeline Lilly as hope van dyne could easily carry her own film or even feature as the team leader in a team movie i mean we've seen precedents for this before in the comics with a force and everything like that and evangeline Lilly has even spoken in interviews on how she is interested in doing an a force style movie where it's an all-female avengers squad so i think that would be super cool and i mean we're getting captain marvel black widow is a solid character scarlet witch got a great pathos and power boost in infinity war so i i just i think that her future is super bright in the mcu going forward but moving along uh scott lang is always a highlight paul rudd does an amazing job like he always does is one of my favorite actors and he continues to make this character someone who fans not only immediately are drawn to but can also stick with throughout an entire narrative uh this film sees scott kind of at his lowest point when he's not able to leave his house he's under house arrest the fbi is coming in multiple times over the course of this film and checking in on him and kind of like oppressing him but he he continues to be the most charming hero with maybe the exception of uh spider-man in the entirety of the marvel cinematic universe uh paul rudd continues to really elevate scott lang as a character and i don't mean to i don't mean any offense to fans who uh, liked Scott before the movies, but Scott Lang to me was always kind of a one to two dimensional character. Um, and when when the first movie came out, Paul Rudd really brought life to him and really made him 
Uh, for me, someone who is more, uh, I would say, just more of a deep character, more of an exciting character. And this film is no different. Paul Rudd continues to hit the comedy beats, he continues to bring out even the emotional aspects of his character, and his chemistry with Evangeline Lilly is off the charts. Um, I will say that there were a couple times where there were jokes that he, I, for me, didn't specifically hit as well as they could have, but I mean, you're, you're not always going to bat a thousand or three thousand or whatever baseball is. I know sports. Um, but along with Scott in this film comes uh, his crew with, of course, Lewis and again, star. <laughs> Michael Pena does an amazing little recap of the first film in this in this film and it is just as good as the first story that he told in the first movie. I was kind of hoping that they would talk about uh, some of the other stuff that happened around but he kept it very focused on Scott because Scott is in his in his world so again they were amazing uh, I can't remember his name uh, he plays the Russian member of the team he's been on Gotham uh, he's been on the flash and other things but um, <laughs> the uh, the villain which we'll get to uh, was ghost he talks about when they first bring him up he's like Oh, he's, he's, he's the Boba Yega, you know, talking about like he's a, he's a witch, and then when she just pops up in their office, he's immediately just like, oh, he's the Boba Yega, like it was it was amazing. I loved his almost deadpan, very uh, stilted delivery. It was great. Uh, Ti is Ti. <laughs> uh, he's the exact same character he was in the first movie, but you can tell that he's having fun, and so is so is the rest of the crew. Um, another huge highlight is, of course, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne. Uh, we got glimpses of Janet in the first film uh, with a little flashback of when she went into the quantum realm, and this film opens up with that exact same scene except it's voiced, and Janet Van Dyne, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, was exactly what I figured we would get out of Janet, uh, considering we had kind of a template for Hank and their whole relationship. They steered away from their comics uh, backstory, and I was a little, a little disappointed that they didn't really talk about it, but... Um, but that really wasn't the story they were trying to tell here. They were really trying to tell the story of a man who was longing for his wife and has been separated from her for, I think they said, like 30 years. And they they deserved kind of like that happy reunion, and they got it. We kind of got a, uh, a Hank Pym in his prototype uh, Ant-Man suit, which was cool seeing um, uh, Michael Douglas actually in an Ant-Man suit physically. I thought that was really cool. And the visuals in in the Quantum Realm when he went down to try and uh, rescue her were very cool. And I really liked their reunion scene. I even liked the, uh, the kind of mini reunion scene they had when she was effectively speaking through Scott. Uh, they had that moment where their minds were kind of connected and she was acting through Scott's body. Amazing face and body acting by Paul Rudd, but it really sold their relationship. And I 
I loved the moment that she stepped in. I was like, okay, that's that is the MCU version of Janet Van Dyne, and you can't really see it any other way. At least I can't. And I I was a little like put off by her weird like um, ET powers, where she kind of fixes uh, Ghost at the end with just like putting her fingers up to Ghost's uh, head, but. I'm sure that given time, if we do get a third Ant-Man movie, uh, they might delve into that. Um, but yeah, I thought she was great. She carries herself as charismatically as Michelle Pfeiffer always does. And Michael Douglas is a treasure. <laughs> Playing the grumpy old Hank Pym who has all the time in the world for Hope, but does not have the time of day for Scott. Uh, the great line that was in the trailer where they talk about um, they're watching Hope kind of kick ass in the hotel and Scott's like oh you know you gave her blasters and stuff like and wings I guess you didn't have that tech for me and he just looks at him he's like no no I did <laughs> and it, it's really just that it's that kind of disapproving father-in-law relationship and I think they that um Hank and Scott really worked well off of each other. And of course, um, Michael Douglas, his delivery and all of Hank's kind of crotchety old man interactions with Scott's crew, talking to Luis, talking to the other guys in the crew where they're like, you know, I didn't think you would come to us for for any help. He's like, yeah, I didn't think so either. And I, I really, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed um, just kind of sticking to the characters because you sometimes you see in uh the jump from the first movie to a sequel that characters will change they for some reason they'll be like oh that doesn't make any sense the version of them in the first film would never make the decision that they make in the second film but what i really liked and what i thought was really strong was their characters and that all of the characters the basis that they had in the first movie carried over to the second film and with that, what also carried over to the second film were the visuals and the action. Um, we got a lot of great visuals from the first film of shrinking down, everything going, uh, everything just perspective, I thought was a huge uh, plus in that film. One of my favorite moments in uh, the film is the final fight between Ant-Man and Yellowjacket from the first film, where they're fighting on the Thomas the Train Engine set, and they're... I, I can't remember exactly, but they're, like, fighting, and the Thomas the Train Engine, like, hits the other train, and you just, like, it pulls out, the two toys just, like, knock each other over. I <laughs> that was one of my favorite scenes, and they did a really good job of showing scale and scope in this film as well. Um, the first kind of interaction between Scott and Hope in this film, he wakes up and there's you know Hope's driving, and he tries to get out of the car, and she says you know doors won't open while the uh, while the effect is in place, and it pans out, and the van that they're driving is actually like Hot Wheels sized, and it's just driving through like the gutters of the street it was really really nice uh they messed with a lot of vehicle uh sizing the little moment with the uh with the pez dispenser of course and then one of my favorite scenes was when hope van dyne was just 
again, kicking ass inside of this hotel, and she chases this guy into the kitchen. The guy's trying to escape out the back, and she throws a salt shaker, hits it, and it expands, and the guy just runs straight into the salt shaker that's now blocking the door. Uh, just the inventiveness continues to be redefined with how they mess with the different sizing. Um, one thing that they had to take into account was post-Civil War, Scott now has the ability to grow. He doesn't just shrink, he also grows gigantic. And they established at different points how being that size exhausts you, how it just completely takes up your stamina. And when Scott was trying to chase the boat at the end to get the, uh, get the building back, he, you really get this idea of like this is his kind of last resort. He shouldn't be going this big, but he has to to catch up to them, and he's gigantic. And you get that that amazing uh, Paul Rudd like oh when he's huge, and it's like it's the reaction you would have just at that size. Like oh my god, this is amazing. And at the end, when you know he gets everything back to normal and he realizes like oh i'm about to pass out and he just falls back into the bay and you get that moment of hope diving into the water and having to reset his um his dial to get him back to normal size it was you really got a sense of scale and scope and i think that's something that peyton reed as a director has done really well in these films um Another great little uh, visual gag that I thought was really nice was uh, in the school scene when they're trying to get the original Ant-Man suit back from his daughter Cassie's backpack and they have to kind of infiltrate her, I want to say it was an elementary school, it might be a middle school, um, and his uh, his regulator gets a, goes a little haywire and so he's stuck at being like three and a half feet tall something like that and you see him just wandering around in this tiny size he uh he goes into the lost and found and he put puts on this kid's sweater and it's still huge on him and like he gets caught by one of the teachers who's like oh do you have a hall pass and there's this long pause and he just books it around the corner <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun and um i think what went hand in hand with that was a lot of the action scenes that were really good and again really inventive um i thought the car chase as kind of shoehorned in as it was was really great um i will never get over the sight of ant-man using a tow truck as like a little scooter where he's just giant sized he has his he has his knee on like the bed of the truck and he's like pushing off with the other foot. I just, you get this full range of um, what Scott is capable of as Ant-Man and I really enjoy that. And I really enjoy that. They, they really leave no stone unturned. They show him going small. They show him going to the quantum realm. They show him going subatomic, but they also show him going the size of like a building. So... I, I really appreciated that. Um, another thing I appreciated was their attempt at making another great Marvel villain. Uh, I think for the most part, for the last few uh, Marvel films, I want to say starting at uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, they've really been knocking it out of the park with their villains. Uh, 
Vulture, Thanos, Killmonger. They've done a great job in establishing these villains because, for the most part, the weakness in the MCU has a, really been a lot of the villains. They haven't been very strong, or if they uh, do connect, like take Loki, they eventually find a way for him not to be a villain, so I don't even really know if I consider him a Marvel villain anymore because he's kind of he turned over that new leaf before he spoiler alert died and I I just think that I wish that this villain really hit it home as well as these past ones have um, I don't think Ghost was an amazing villain I think she had pathos I think they really tried their best to make her a sympathetic villain but I I I don't think now let me get out in front of it. I don't think she was a bad villain. I don't think that at this stage they've kind of learned their um their their system for really trying to make good villains and I think that they tried their best with Ghost, but I really don't think that they I really don't think that she stands up. I wouldn't put her in the top five like I would the last few villains that Marvel has kind of churned out. And along with that, Bill Foster, played by the incomparable Lawrence Fishburne, I was really excited about because Bill Foster has a really deep and rich history in Marvel Comics. And I really thought it would be kind of cool to see maybe a clip of Bill Foster in the old days being Goliath. But... They had that little scene in the uh, in his office, and then surprise, he's revealed as kind of the uh, side antagonist that he's basically trying to help Ghost uh, fix her life. And you get a really nice backstory with them. You 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 can see clearly their relationship, and it's very um, it's very clear from the get go that these two are characters who care about each other and who care about working towards the same goal which is to of course fix ghost and get her to stop phasing between uh dimensions so i liked that it really established their relationship but i wish that we had had a stronger i guess just a stronger narrative reason like why are they so why is ghost so quote-unquote evil i get that she was being used as essentially like a winter soldier for shield but when shield fell and they realized she realized that like what she was working towards wasn't really possible for her why didn't she reach out why didn't she go to the people who could help like a tony stark like a bruce banner like a hank pym and really try and work with them instead of trying to steal things and work against them i think if they had taken the time to establish bill foster as someone who had been you know publicly shamed by hank pym and it became more of a revenge thing for uh bill foster trying to get revenge on hank pym and you see this kind of parallel of hank and scott and how their past no matter how far they try to get away from it always catches up for them you get that narrative duality that narrative mirroring of these characters and allows them to grow closer i think it would have been a better story but i know that sounds really negative but like i still enjoyed these characters i enjoy their performances uh the things that I will say were kind of ham-fisted for me were uh, the FBI and the little like mob henchman villains. 
I don't really see a reason why the henchmen villains were a part of the film besides really just getting that car chase scene but um i liked the fbi for what it was they had a couple nice little funny gags uh i, I don't remember the the name of the actor who played kind of the lead guy on scott's case but i i just know him as asian jim from the office that one uh that one opening gag where they replaced all of uh they tried to make dwight think that jim had been asian this whole time um, so that's where I remember him from. So when I saw him, I was like, oh, it's Asian Jim. Which I know is really, really bad. But um, anyway, uh, the the characters I really didn't think saw too much importance in the in the overall narrative. And I think if you had taken out the, uh, the kind of minor villains and really kept the FBI uh, interaction to a minimum you could have given more time to establish and expand ghost and bill foster's characters but overall i know that sounds really negative i really enjoyed the movie i really liked it um i'll, I'll touch on the post credit scene the post credit scene is great uh there are two the mid credits uh scene is really the the meat and potatoes of it where uh, they go, Scott goes back into the quantum realm to kind of get some of the healing energy to help cure Ghost. And while he's in there, I basically is when Infinity War happens and the snap occurs. And so he's like, All right, guys, I got everything. We're good to go. And Hank just goes, All right, we're going to bring you back in three, two, and there's nothing and immediately you hear the silence and everyone in the audience myself included went oh no oh god and it cuts back and all three of the pims were dusted and i was really bummed about that because i was hoping that wasp was going to make an appearance i know we have we didn't really see her in any of the uh, promo material the leaked concept art or any of the set photos but i was really hoping that she was gonna uh she was gonna continue on because again i think she's a great character and i think that she has a lot of uh potential going forward but all three of the pimps were gone no one else knows what they were doing so scott is trapped in the quantum realm and that sucks and i'm really interested in seeing how they get him out in avengers 4 but uh then we had the our neighbor's dog is uh voicing her opinion she really enjoyed ant-man as well um but the uh the post-credit scene was less of a uh it was really i guess i don't know what the word is uh less dynamic less uh important i guess is the word but um you see kind of a uh a shot kind of tracking through scott's house and you're seeing like the aftermath and like the silence and like the uh like you hear people panicking in the streets outside and it's ve it's very dark it's really like unsettling and kind of disturbing and then you see the ant that has been uh, giganticized, which is an awesome, awesome word that I just created right now, and has been kind of programmed to make Scott to do Scott's daily routine. You just see him drumming on the uh, little drum set alone, and I was really kind of bummed that they spoiled that in the trailers. But uh, 
but anyway, like it, it was a nice little button on showing like the immediate aftermath because we didn't really see uh, what the aftermath was for the snap. We saw things as they were happening, but really the aftermath we're gonna have to wait until uh avengers 4 comes out to really see what's going on so that is ant-man and the wasp i really i i really enjoyed the movie i per, personally for me i think i enjoyed the first movie a little bit more it was a little bit more of a focused narrative and i just i enjoy heist movies i really really enjoy heist movies if i could do a heist movie at some point it is my goal to make sure that happens to uh, act in a heist movie of some sort but um but i thought that they really they made it bigger they made it more emotional and i really i enjoyed it i can't say that i didn't enjoy this movie because it was absolutely a great time and now for part two incredibles 2 guys incredibles 2 it was amazing i loved every second it was so good and that's it. That's uh, that's it for the review. I uh, I'm just kidding. I I cannot talk enough about this film. I uh, I just I love it. So uh, just like with the Ant Man uh, synopsis, I'll go through the Incredibles two synopsis right here. <clears throat> oh, voice. <clears throat> Everyone's favorite family of superheroes is back in Incredibles two. But this time, Helen is in the spotlight, leaving Bob at home with Violet and Dash to navigate the day-to-day -day heroics of normal life. It's a tough transition for everyone, made tougher by the fact that the family is still unaware of Baby Jack-Jack's emerging superpowers. When a new villain hatches a brilliant and dangerous plot, the family and Frozone must find a way to work together again, which is easier said than done, even when they're all incredible. So, again, this is this is the culmination of 14 years of waiting for a sequel to the first Incredibles movie. And the first Incredibles movie has, I've heard this said before and I completely agree with this, is the best Fantastic Four movie that ever came out. <laughs> um, you get the family dynamics. It's an amazing film. It's one of my... I think one of my favorite films of all time. It's probably my favorite Pixar film. I know that's huge. It's saying a lot, especially with all the good films that came out recently. Stuff like Coco, Moana. I cried during Coco. But I love Incredibles. The first film had such an impact on my life, and I really I love it. Especially now, where I'm at now, looking at... Uh, as I'm trying to get a voice acting career started off, as I'm kicking off, you know, this podcasting deal, uh, voice acting and working on, hoping to one day work on a film as influential as the Incredibles film would be a dream, and it's something that I really hold dear, dear to my heart. But um, enough about me. This film is incredible, and I. I couldn't help it. I know. I know it's awful that I say that, but it's really it's so good, and I just I I was worried that after 14 years I wasn't going to feel the same way as I did about the first film. I was worried after seeing the first trailer because I don't think the first trailer did a very good job of selling the movie, especially for what it ended up being. It didn't show 
a lot, if anything, about the overall plot, besides the fact that Elastigirl is going off and Mr. Incredible is staying home. And I was put off initially, but like as more trailers came out, as I found out more about the film, and when I went in there, you know, the initial theme kicked on and I was transported back to my childhood. <laughs> it was amazing. And um, so I have my notes here for Incredibles 2. And at the top of the list, Elastigirl. Uh, Helen Parr, voiced by Holly Hunter, is just amazing. She is the mom that everyone wishes they had. She is so good, and her ability to look at situations, whether they be... Uh, fighting crime or just normal home life are uh, tackled in such a way such from a logical standpoint that it's just she is the most efficient superhero of that whole team of that whole family and they touch on this and they speak about this in the film talking about how they want to bring superheroes back in kind of like a publicity stunt uh, format and they think that Helen would be the best choice because she's the quote-unquote the cleanest she's the one that causes the least amount of property damage which is true and she really gets a spotlight in this film that I don't think she really got to have in the first film because the first film was very much about uh, Bob Mr. Incredible really coming out of retirement and finding this second gear and finding this inner um, this inner super hero again and i think it was like kind of like a midlife crisis deal and it really did a great job and i think this film is more about not just bob learning to deal with home life and deal with all the stuff that helen had to deal with in the first movie but helen really got to step into really got to step into her own in this film you got to see her go on an actual campaign of fighting a supervillain and you really got to see how she approaches or and how she approached being a hero in the past how, how i assume she did before she got married and she's awesome <laughs> there's a uh, there's a scene where she's trying to catch this runaway train this runaway bullet train on this uh on this motorcycle and the motorcycle detaches in the middle to kind of match up with her elasticity and the entire sequence is amazing the entire sequence of her just driving the motorcycle through this downtown area driving it up between scaffolding between buildings jumping it up onto buildings jumping it up onto the track jumping it on the train the whole sequence is amazing and i would i would honestly put it up i would honestly say that it is on the same level in um intention in excitement as a superman plane catch and for anyone who knows me, that's a, that's big praise because I believe that Superman Train Catch is the most classic and iconic superhero rescue ever, and I think that this definitely gives it a run for its money because this was just it was inventive, it was creative, the visuals were stunning, and it really it jacked up the tension all the way to eleven until she was able to finally rescue everyone. But. I really think that overall she did an amazing job. I thought that her character arc throughout the entire thing was really, really good. 
and she just she continues to be a standout character as she was in the first film but also being a great standout with a great arc was bob parr mr incredible voiced by craig t nelson he did amazing <laughs> um as a old man on the inside i really found myself connecting with bob in this film uh, in the first film, and again, this was 14 years ago, I connected with the kids. I connected with Violet. I connected with Dash. And this film, I really connected with Bob and his kind of his struggles in the film, his struggles to be a good dad, his struggles to keep everything together and do things that he is neither prepared for nor has the patience for, and him just trying to learn how to deal with it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a really great analysis of his character and the fact that he is used to kind of being the star quarterback for his family. He's used to being in the limelight. And when uh, the brother and sister basically tell him, like, oh, no, we want Elastigirl, you could see how offended he is, and it's hilarious. They really take the time to let you know what he's thinking and you, they give you the time to i don't know really feel the struggle that he's going through I, one of my favorite scenes is when he uh, is having trouble sleeping and he had this whole panicky moment of not being able to have help dash with his homework so he can't sleep so he goes downstairs pours himself some coffee and he learns Dash's homework so that he's able to help him in the morning and I thought that's it was so touching and it was really a great example of him starting to develop as a character and I'm all about character development but one of my favorite moments and one of my favorite characters in this film even with how little he was in it was Frozone uh, voiced by Samuel L. Jackson the incomparable Samuel L. Jackson he really ha he really didn't have a whole lot to do in the film but the the stuff that he did really had an impact. One of my favorite scenes is his whole fight in the house with the mind-controlled uh, superheroes. And I just thought, because I, I love the idea of last stands, where it's like someone who is completely outgunned going against this force that he is not physically or mentally prepared to fight. And I really enjoyed that sequence of him fighting them throughout the house and trying to maneuver through getting the kids out of the house safely so i really enjoyed that and i really enjoyed all the moments that he had in the film i loved seeing his powers at work there were a couple times that uh i thought to myself like there is no way they would have been able to get through this movie without him he's the one who is able to effectively stop the underminers drill at the beginning he's the one who's able to stop the ship at the end from crashing into buildings he is a clutch player and he was invaluable to the team in this film uh another invaluable member of this team was jack jack and he really he stole the spotlight a lot of this film uh, a lot of the film was us starting to as an audience see how many powers he really has uh i'm not sure if it's something that like he is he has all these powers and then as he grows older they start to go away he starts to focus into one or two or if he's just going to keep them all and he's just going to be this jack of all trades i really like i really liked all of the sequences of his power just kind of happening 
like the sequence uh, in the boat when he just starts disappearing and going through walls. Uh, the, se- the sequence when he fights the raccoon is hilarious. I really, I just enjoyed everything about him, and especially his interactions with Edna Mode, who, again, like Frozone, is kind of pushed aside and doesn't get a whole lot to do in this film. But the scene, really, the only one scene that she's in, she's the star of, of course, because it's Edna Mode. Uh, their relationship, how she becomes his kind of anti-M Edna, was really I I loved when they're walking through the hallway, and uh, Jack Jack is kind of mirroring Edna's uh, movements. He's got his like his little uh, his lollipop, and it was just it was really really great. And seeing the two of them interact because they didn't really. They didn't really get to interact a whole lot in the first film, and seeing how Edna, who is self-professed, she says, like, I'm not a baby person, I'm an artist, and then jump to the next scene you see her in, and she's just, like, she's holding him, she's become attached, and it was it was really great to see. Uh, another, I guess we should uh, jump over to the other kids in the, in the story, Dash and Violet, exactly how they were in the first film. Uh, I don't know if that's for better or for worse, but they were very consistent in their characters. Uh, Violet went through uh, a little bit of emotional turmoil. Uh, They wiped the memory of her um, love interest, Tony, very early on in the film. And so she has to deal with him not only forgetting that they had a date, but also forgetting her and by the end of the film she's able to reunite with him and kind of start over with their relationship and i thought it was very sweet and the last scene is even them getting dropped off at their uh at their first date and then they see a high-speed chase with guns and everything so she basically pushes them out of the car gives them money says she'll be back in time for the film and they drive off and tony just seems like he's like okay i'm cool with it whatever um but I think we'll jump over now to the two to the new characters in the film. Uh, they introduced a few new heroes as kind of, I guess, like Elastigirl's like new kind of super squad, her like sidekicks, though not really. It it was weird how they were trying to set them up. Um, I think they were supposed to be like the new wave of superheroes inspired by Elastigirl. And uh, the one inspired by her the most was Void. And I really enjoyed her. She was very... All of her fangirl moments with Elastigirl were very touching and very uh, very endearing. And her powers were crazy good. Uh, you saw there are a couple points, especially when uh, Elastigirl is fighting the villain at the end, where uh, Void has to throw... Um, portals to save Elastigirl from basically dying and I really I'm a huge sucker for seeing superheroes powers kind of in tandem how uh, heroes team up and use their powers to work as a cohesive unit and I think that she worked really well we also saw um, a guy who can crush things which was cool I guess Uh, he had a funny little moment uh, with uh, Mr. Incredible near the end, where Mr. Incredible is like, can you uncrush this? And I guess he was Russian, because he kind of spoke with a weird Russian accent. He's like, what if I ask you to unpunch things? And they got in an argument, Mr. Incredible left. Uh, there was also Reflux, which was hilarious. It was just an old man who 
I guess, vomited out acid or lava of some kind. Uh, so he was fun. There was this super creepy owl dude. I can't remember what his like official name was, so I'm referring to him as Owl Dude. And he was fine when they were like normal, but then they got brainwashed later on, and he was creepy as hell. Uh, they also had, who am I forgetting, uh, Brick, the giant, like, I didn't realize was a woman at the time, but later on they kind of, like, imply, if not outright state, that she's a woman. And she went toe-to-toe with Mr. Incredible and was fighting him, so that was really cool. Um, I think that's it from the new little, like, recruits area. Oh, no, they had the, uh, the electricity dude. Um, he was fun. Uh, he did his electricity thing. But the two new characters that really had a huge impact on the plot were the brother and sister duo of Winston and Evelyn Dever. Uh, I just got that. It's Endeavor. That's that's cool. Anyway, um, so they were this kind of like uh, brother-sister tech and business mogul duo who concocted this idea of, well, at least Winston did, concocted this idea of having Elastigirl go out against uh, government regulations and save the day to show not just um, officials but also the world as a whole that superheroes aren't something that should be outlawed, that they're something that should be celebrated. And I really connected with Winston as a character. Um, he just, he sees the world as it is but he also sees it as it can, as it can be. And with someone who is such a fanboy of uh, superhero stuff. I thought for sure that he was going to end up being a villain just because he was too into the superhero, just the genre. But then at the end, when he was really like genuinely in it, I was like, okay, so we, there are characters. You can have someone be a fanboy without being secretly evil. And I really enjoyed that. But I guess that kind of spoils his sister, Evelyn, who ended up being the villain known as the screen slaver and i i thought she was a great villain i still think syndrome is leagues above her as a villain but i thought her her motivation her uh the use of her technology even her her admitted monologuing was done really well i thought she was a great villain she really served the story as an antagonist as best as any villain could. And I thought that her motivation made sense, the fact that her father was killed because he put, quote-unquote, too much faith in supers. I thought, really, it's that tragic villain backstory that you look for in villains that should be more than one-dimensional. And I thought that it was really... It made her a more compelling character, and I really liked her uh, her ending fight with Elastigirl and how she continued throughout the film, even before we found out she was a villain, she continued to use her mind to outwit and outsmart uh, the heroes and really any, any, anyone and everyone around her. So I thought she was a great villain, but the all-star standout for me, just like in the first film, was the soundtrack. It's amazing. If you disagree, you're a liar. It's one of the standout things about The Incredibles just in general. This almost James Bond-esque style of... Um, it's this da-da-da-da-da... Like, it's catchy, it sticks in your head, you know it immediately when you see it like, that's The Incredibles. I know what that is. And again, just 
something about the fusion of superheroes and jazz just is a perfect combination <laughs> and i kind of wish that more uh more superhero films tried to use jazz because with all the improvisation that you can do how exciting it can be i think it's it's wonderful you can hear it in the song that i choose for the opening like i love hearing some brass i love hearing some jazz like it's it's amazing and it catches your eye catches your attention immediately and it really sets up a mood it really really sets a mood no matter at what point the story is in so those are my those are my thoughts those are my notes those are my bullet points overall i loved this movie i it stands right there right next to the first film i think these are two amazing amazing phenomenal movies and i just i couldn't get enough if movie pass wasn't so uh ridiculous with me i would go see it again on movie pass i might even pay full price to go see it again i enjoyed it that much so uh yeah that is my thoughts on the incredibles 2 so there you go double feature both uh ant-man and the wasp and incredibles 2 overall amazing movies i really enjoyed them i could not think of a better weekend of superhero films uh, both animated and not animated <laughs> so uh let me know what you thought about these films um it's an exciting time when a film like the incredibles comes out that was so groundbreaking at its time can come out among this sea of other superhero films and still feel unique so um feel free to let me know what you thought uh you can reach out to me on twitter at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained p-o-d you can also send me emails because i'm an old man and i still read emails and interact mostly through emails you can send any emails with uh your thoughts on the films uh ideas for future episodes or just to tell me how amazing or how terrible i'm doing i love feedback i love talking to you guys uh you can send me an email at geeksplained at gmail.com uh got some awesome news we are everywhere now basically <laughs> uh we have been uh from the first episode geek explained has been pretty much exclusively on soundcloud which is great love soundcloud they really uh gave me a platform to start this show and consistently give you guys uh content throughout it but we've expanded we are now on Stitcher Radio. We are now on TuneIn Radio. We are now on Google Play or uh, Google Music. And I just found out this morning we are officially on iTunes. We are. We have the trifecta. We have all of the uh, all of the great podcasting platforms, with the exception of Spotify. But it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. But I'm super excited. I'm really excited to get. Uh, Geek Explained out into a wider audience. Uh, just in this past week, we've had a ton of traffic, a ton of new listeners jumping in, and I thank you if you are one of those new listeners who has discovered us recently. Thank you so much for giving us a shot. Uh, I really hope to make you guys proud and to keep you guys uh, subscribed and listening to me, just rant about random stuff. So, uh, and thank you again to all of the people who have stuck with us from the beginning, who were there for the first episode, and continue to watch us grow, and it's, it's only going to keep going up from here. So, um, again, check us out on all those platforms now, we've expanded, 
Um, what else is going on? Oh, uh, next weekend. No, not next weekend. The weekend after. So the final weekend in July uh, is Midsummer Scream. It is a horror convention in L.A. Uh, it's going on the Saturday and Sunday. Let me check the calendar. It is the 28th and the 29th of July. Uh, we have a short film that is going to be in their film festival. It's going to be showing on the 29th of July, so that's the Sunday uh, of the convention. And it's our first our first film festival in LA. So if you're interested, if you want to check me out and see what I look like, instead of just listening to me uh feel free to come and check out the film uh we could use all the support that we can get we're really excited it's a great little short film called murder a friendship story uh you can check that out on facebook as well check that out uh follow the page like the page and you can stay up to date with all of the happenings there so i think i'll wrap it up there that is pretty much it for me uh i'm also uh last thing um got a lot of really really good feedback from you guys for our first episode of the kingdom hearts series i'm really excited to keep that going uh it was a lot of time and effort to put through uh, i'm currently playing through kingdom hearts chain of memories to have that ready for the first week of august so um just continue to let me know how i'm doing how i can improve what you like what you don't like and we're gonna make this podcast amazing together so I will wrap it up there. Uh, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.